ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستهديه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا brothers and sisters we are in session 3 now and in this session i'm going to talk about how rasulullah built a new block and that is the block of aqidah or if you want a more simple term iman or belief why did i leave this block quite late i i did not begin with it as the first block well i already told you why i did this i already said it in session 2 before you ask anyone to believe in anything you have to build bridges of love and confidence and throughout the period that i have spoken about in session 2 rasulullah was doing exactly that he was cuddling he was kissing he was standing he was separating terrified children he was giving them dates so that when the moment is right it becomes easy for him to say believe in me i am the prophet love me because to go to jannah you have to love the prophet love allah because allah sent to you that whom you love do you understand how aqeedah was built do you understand how iman was built how do we build our iman brothers and sisters i think today our understanding of iman and aqeedah is does allah have a hand or not is allah over the throne or where is allah's throne is allah everywhere or in heaven polemics intellectual debates and struggles but the simple question is do we really love allah are we really prepared to sacrifice our life for allah more importantly or probably less importantly or equally importantly do we love rasulullah more than we love our bungalow or detached or i don't know what mobile or car no genuinely love actually before asking this question do we really know who the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was to love him can we love someone that we can't even imagine love is not an intellectual or a rational endeavor love is that brothers and sisters love is that if i mention the name of the girl that you love or the boy or whatever you say the heartbeat begins your your blood pressure things happen if i say muhammad sallallahu what happens you say sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that's it now it was not that at all with the sahaba you know why because and this is the, the narration here is mute whenever the sahaba hear rasulullah speaking they straight away unconsciously turn to him or when they hear that someone says rasulullah i heard him once say this they straight away do you know when there is a talk or a conference and people are talking etc you have to just say like do like this or or hit on the for people to listen or clap or do something or just shout it was enough for the sahaba if they are to be kept quiet to say by the way qala rasulullah and they will all keep quiet can you imagine that and some of them might cry and some of them the heart beats this is genuine love because they have been the recipients of all this emotions they have been they have built this iman the block of iman on the top of an emotional block that i talked to you about i think that to build the iman of your children 
I think I would say immediately build their emotional block. But you know what? I want to shock you. I want to say build first your emotional block. Because then you will be able and successful to build their emotional block. You have to show them and they have to see it in your face that you love Rasulullah. That in Jum'ah you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That whenever you eat or drink or dress or talk or behave, you are inspired by the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad. They must see that and they are very intelligent and they are able to see it. So if they see that you are watching Friends and you are not missing a series, they will know that you love Friends more perhaps than you love Riyadh al-Salihin, which you just put in the library and you never open and read. So this is exactly what I'm trying to say. This is how it was then feasible for Rasulullah to build the aqidah of the children. I want to just hit it hard again and say that the children adored Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is a statement that I have to justify. Let me before that say to you this quotation that Ali ibn Abi Talib says it about Rasulullah And this quotation initially was to be mentioned in session one, but I thought you might not appreciate it then. But I think now we've reached a stage where you can appreciate it more. Ali ibn Abi Talib, when he describes Rasulullah he says, Man ra'ahu habahu. If you encounter him for the first time, you will be terrified of him. Not terrified, you, out of respect, you will feel that he is a special person. But when you interact with him, وَمَنْ خَالَطَهُ مَعْرِفَةً أَحَبَّ But when you interact with him and you become friends with him, you love him. And children are in that equation, no exception. When the children see him at the beginning, oh, he's a Rasulullah I'm shy. But when, they, when he calls them and gives them date and kisses them and holds them, they fall in love with him. This is the, the, the process. And when they fall in love with him, they fall in love with him with everything. And I will justify that. Let's focus on something that you've heard, some of you might have heard a lot, but again, think about it. When uh, Zayd ibn Haritha, the one that was adopted by Rasul Sallallahu and uh, he is the one that divorced his wife Zainab, which then later Rasul Sallallahu got married to. Zayd ibn Haritha was adopted by Rasul Sallallahu He uh, raised him up when he was a young boy. And then it seems that his father, an uncle of Zayd, came and realized that he is in Mecca because he was kidnapped from his family and turned into a slave. And imagine the father and the uncle coming and saying to Zayd, Zayd, I am your father. I am your uncle. The father and the uncle. This is my father. This is the brother of my father. And for years, he has not seen them. And they say, Ya Zayd, you are free. Come with us. Oh Muhammad, release Zayd. He said, it's up to him. And look at this democracy, if we may use this word. It's his choice. It's his decision. And Zayd said something that is, to me, constitutes the core of aqidah. He says, I will not prefer you over this man, O father, O uncle. I will not prefer you over this man. Meaning, I will not love you more than this man. And therefore, I'm not going with you. Why? Why? What happened? Did he brainwash you? No. إني رأيت من هذا الرجل شيئا ما أنا بالذي أختار عليه أحدا. I saw from this man 
an attitude that I will never prefer anyone over him, even if it was my father or my uncle or anything else. Brothers and sisters, what is aqeedah? In a nutshell, what is aqeedah? Isn't one of the manifestations of aqeedah is to love al Rasul more than you love your father and your mother? Zayd ibn Haritha did not know that this constitutes aqeedah. And even if that does constitute aqeedah, he's prepared to do it naturally without being asked to do it. I'm just saying in a nutshell, they believed in aqeedah and understood it before it was institutionalized into books and lectures. They applied it before that. They believed before they were asked to believe. This is aqeedah. Rasulullah did not sit with them and said, Allah has a hand. No, no, did not engage in that. And look at the, the Makki surahs that were revealed. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ وَالنَّجْمِ إِذَا هَوَى All about the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They loved him so much that they knew that one day he will die, but they want to be with him even after his death in Jannah. And one of them was Anas ibn Malik, radiyallahu anhu. In As-Sahihayn, this is mentioned in the book of Bukhari and Muslim. A man came, look, this is Anas holding the camera now. A man, he says, a man came to a Prophet Muhammad and says, Ya Rasulallah, when is the hour? And you know the hadith, most of you probably. But again, you look at it from a certain dimension. The dimension of amal and that you have to perform and you have to make action, etc. to go to Jannah with Rasulallah. قال وسلم, and what have you prepared for it? He's answering the question with a question because this is more important than the answer. He said, Ya Rasulullah, not much work, not much action, except that I love you so much, Ya Rasulullah وسلم, and Rasulullah replied by saying, Al-mar'u man ahab. You will be with whom you love. Full stop. End of hadith. Now Anas ibn Malik leaves his camera and holds the microphone and speaks to you. Do you know what he says as a commentator on that event or incident? He says, ما فرحنا بشيء. He says, did you see, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this incident? This incident made me extremely happy because without this incident, I would never have thought that there is a possibility of seeing the Prophet ﷺ and being with him in Jannah. Oh Allah, I bear witness that I love Rasul ﷺ for you to make me see him again in Jannah. The one who's saying this is a 15, 16 years old boy. He doesn't want to see a movie in the cinema. He doesn't want to see this girl or that, this or that. He wants to see Rasulullah Well, you are seeing him, Anas. No, no, I'm not thinking about now. I'm thinking, uh, what more of love do you want? What more of passion do you want? of wanting to see Rasulullah not in this dunya, because this is, alhamdulillah, I'm going to hold strong to that, but I'm worried that I might not see him in Jannah. And not only that, to love someone is to love what he loves. Even if I don't like it, why not? Well, depends. If your wife loves this, uh, I don't know what, you will love that, or your ma- mother, or your brother, or your sister. What if Rasulullah loves something? If he loves cucumber, 
You might, I'm allergic to cucumber or I don't like this or this or that. Fine. But that was not the case with the children of Rasul Again, in the book of Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nisa'i, Abu Dawood, famous hadith. But the narration is in Bukhari, this narration. And Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, again Anas is holding the camera. He says, I went with Rasul and entered into a house where there was a young tailor. It seems that Rasulullah went to visit a young tailor. Now what is fascinating so far is that he says, I went with Rasulullah. So imagine Rasulullah is walking with a child, number one. Number two, the tailor is young. So Rasulullah is walking with a young to meet a young children around the Prophet. Or the Prophet around children. So he enters to the tailor, and the tailor out of kindness and hospitality brings some porridge. And... To, for Rasulullah to eat, and within that porridge there is pumpkin. Within that porridge. So uh, you might say, what's this pumpkin uh, mixed with porridge? But anyway, this is the food that was available at that time and that the young tailor uh, provided. It seems that Rasulullah did not like too much the porridge or he was fascinated with the pumpkin. And uh, he began searching for the pumpkin, selecting it from the, from the plate. And the servant is realizing that, and you are the servant, come on, do something. So Anas ibn Malik says, I began helping him select the punk. You said it. Uh, <laughs> but what is fascinating in this hadith is that Anas ibn Malik, he says from that incident, I began to love it. Because he loved it. And I love what he loves. Your child might one day want to wear tight jeans or wear a Barbie, I don't know, or bring a boyfriend to the Barbie or uh, because that's what Barbie does. Because this is what the football player does. This is what the, the, the wife of the football player wears, these glasses, whatever. Can we reach actually a point where we love what our Rasulullah loved? Okay, forget about a pumpkin. Alhamdulillah, I said it. Why don't you do what Rasulullah did, not out of personal preference, but because this is the sunnah. This is a lesser task. Anas is doing the more extreme task. He's saying, I'm doing everything what Rasulullah is doing, but I am also imitating Rasulullah in that which he never prescribed to the ummah of Muhammad to do, because that was not a sunnah. This was a food preference that he did in private. Okay, the final thing about love, and this is just about the love of the Prophet, <laughs> Love could be a claim. I love you, I love you, I love you. You bring me red roses, and I love you, I love you. But what could be a stronger manifestation of love? One day, and you might again be aware of this hadith that is in the book of Bukhari, Abdurrahman ibn Awf is, now we come to battles, okay? Abdurrahman ibn Awf is in one of the battles, in the battle of Badr. And he is alone in the battle, and he wants some bodyguards or some helpers to come and stand next to him so he feels secure and safe. But suddenly he encounters two boys. One stands on the right and one stands on the left. And the one that stands on the right, they say, Uncle, tell me, where is Abu Jahl? Abu Jahl, where is he? 
Is he among the mushriks? Can you point at Abu Jahl? He then said, I will tell you when I see him. And then the other uh, boy said, Uncle, uncle, tell me where is Abu Jahl? It seems that he was a celebrity, this Abu Jahl. So uh, they said, where is Abu Jahl? And he then began to be suspicious. First of all, two boys, young, asking for Abu Jahl. Then he uh, asked one of the boys, he said, why do you want Abu Jahl? And look at this fascinating quotation. I'll tell you why it's fascinating. Not because of the quotation. Because it gives us another message. One of them says, Wallahi, Wallahi, if I saw him, I will not leave him alone. Wallahi, if I saw him, I will not leave him. Because he used to harm and hurt and insult Rasul Do you know what is fascinating in this hadith? Abu Jahl used to harm Rasul where? In Mecca or in Medina? In Mecca. Those children in the Battle of Badr are from Medina or Mecca? The fact that they knew that Abu Jahl used to harm Rasul tells you what? Tells you that they know Sira. The Mecca Sira. It tells you something. It tells you that those children knew the history of Prophet Muhammad before Prophet Muhammad died. They knew his autobiography during his presence. At least the Meccan period, the last 10 years. And it was enough for them to know that someone, somewhere, somehow, used to insult Rasulullah for them to decide, even if they were underage, to look for him and to bring him and to seek revenge. If this was not love, then tell me what is love. If just... Hearing that someone has harmed your Prophet وسلم, does not provoke or incite, then tell me what is love. How do we make Rasul beloved to our children today? And this is a problem. Barbie, they can see Barbie. Maisie, they can see Maisie. They can see the Simpsons. But unfortunately, they can't see Rasul so this is challenging, especially that stories are built on personalities and their trousers and their toys, etc., etc. I think that there are two things that could be done. Number one is that you represent to them the living Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I know that this is an extreme statement, but isn't this possible? Isn't a Rasul Uswa, Qudwa, a role model and an example for us to emulate? So he might not see the Prophet physically, but he will certainly see you as a father and as a mother. And I already spoke about ways of doing that, of saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam whenever his name is mentioned, whenever the Adhan is called Whenever uh, the sunnah, there, there is a context for explaining the sunnah, etc., etc. And the more you do that without a condescending or, or uh, a boring way, the more they will. But before that, build the emotional block. Don't, don't miss our, our process. Number two, stories. This doing exactly what we are doing now, and they will appreciate this most from the age of three to six. This is the age where they will appreciate narrative. And the Sahaba, and the young Sahaba used to exactly do that, narrate the story of Rasulullah to their children. Look at that. Ismail, 
the son of Muhammad, the son of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas. The son of, so the grandson of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, who's a well-known companion, his name is Ismail. He used to say, Kana Abi. Abi, my father, who is the son of Sa'd. You understand? A companion, a son, and a grandson. The grandson is saying, my father used to teach us seerah. So you would presume who thought the father? His, his father, the companion. So the companion is teaching his son, and the son then grows and becomes a married man, and he teaches his grandson. What would you then imagine or anticipate from the grandson? He will grow and narrate the same stories. Not from Ar-Rahiq al-Makhtoum or Riyadh al-Salihin, but from the mouth and memory of the grandfather. Do you see? This was exactly how the love was inherited. And this is what you should be thinking about. You have to do it from now like I used to do before marriage. Read the books about marriage. No, no. Read all the books about seerah. And close the book and think and say, Oh Allah, how can I make this complex book accessible, intelligible, and more importantly, interesting and appealing to my three years old child? I once brought my daughter and I said to her this story. Once, because you know... They love animals, etc. And I said to her, once a Rasul Sallallahu went into the garden and saw the camel. And the camel was crying and was weeping because the owner of that camel used to torture that camel. So a Rasul put his hand on the head of that camel and the camel stopped crying. You see Hadil, her name is my daughter. You see how Rasul is kind? She never asks me, do camels cry? She's not, no, she, yes, camels cry, teddy bears speak. Yes, they do all that. Only when she grow up, she knows that this does not happen. But in that case, of course, it's a miracle. Seize the moment, seize the time to instill the love of Prophet Muhammad in a way and in a mentality that they could appreciate and recognize. But the animal, the camel, the snake that spoke to Rasulullah the trunk that wept and cried because it missed the body of Rasulullah This can be fascinating stories for children. They can, they could. So I don't need Maisie or Simpsons or Bobby. I don't need that. I should have began the building of Aqidah with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But again, they don't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They can't understand who's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they loved Allah because they realized and recognized and interacted with the messenger of Allah. And they certainly then will love that God that sent this beloved man, this lovely man, this beautiful man. Do you understand? Do you see? Do you see how aqidah is being built? No books, no tapes, no lectures, no conferences. You love the man. I love him because he's a decent human being. Oh, but he's not just a decent human being. He receives inspiration. Oh, okay, I love him then as a messenger. Fine. But then you love that who sent him. Because that who sent him is more merciful, is more kind, is more nice, is more beautiful. You cannot imagine how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. If you can imagine how Rasulullah is, 
So if you love Rasulullah then by default, you have to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do you see? Do you understand, brothers and sisters? Do you understand how he builds aqidah? But before that, building the emotional block. And this is one way of building the iman and the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the minds of children. And you know this hadith, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he said, I was once behind the Prophet ﷺ riding the dabba, be it a camel or a mule or a donkey. And he says, one day I was behind the Prophet ﷺ and he said to me, Oh young man, I shall teach you some words. Look, he's making an introduction that's going to be brief reminder. And then he says, Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. Be mindful of Allah and you will find him in front of you. If you ask, ask Allah. And I must here stop. You know what is the essence of aqidah? The essence of aqidah is to believe in no one as being powerful other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is the dua of Rasulullah answered? The answer is yes. But Rasulullah never said, if you ask, come to me. I am your cousin or uncle and I will make dua. No, he wants to break all human links. Yes, you love me. Yes, you adore me. But at the end of the day, I am only a human being. I am only a prophet. But when you ask, ask Allah. When you want something, ask Allah. Isn't this brothers and sisters building the aqidah? And what is fascinating it's that, is that he's building the aqidah in a context of joy. He's riding a camel. You know these uh, horses, you put 50 pence and they do like this. Imagine you say the aqidah of the children to the... Like, you, you teach the love of Allah while the, your, your child is doing like this. 50p, for 50p. Sometimes you put one pound and it doesn't return the change. But anyone, for 50p. And she says, the child, he or she, more and more. And you put 50p and teach aqidah and put 50p. This is more than more important and more probably useful than paying 50 pounds for a book that tells you that Allah has got a hand that is not... And come, come, five years old, he has a hand, Allah has got... No, no. Put him on a horse and tell him the aqidah. That's what exactly Rasulullah was doing. And make it short and make it brief. And just imagine when he teaches him qadr, predestination. Aqidah is not just the love of Allah, but predestination. He says, know that if the ummah were to gather. The ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu is very difficult to imagine that we gather. But imagine we gather one day. We gather to harm someone. He has a bomb, he has a knife, he has a nuclear weapon. We just gather for the sake of destroying one single child who is at the age of six. We will not be able to harm him unless Allah says so. And imagine we gather, your mother and your father, and the governor, and the MP, and all those who love you, and your daughter, and your sister, and your wife, and everyone. We gather to bring you a gift. The Ummah of Muhammad in their millions, imagine people coming, though all the Muslims from China to bring you a mobile, and all the Muslims from Asia to, to kiss you probably. I don't know what, everyone is bringing a gift to you. And you are a six years old child. You can't run away from millions of Muslims. They will not be able to do that if Allah does not say so. Isn't this aqidah? Isn't Rasulullah saying to the child basically that no one on this earth including me can help you without 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you said this to your child, that is what you are doing. You are building iman and aqeedah. I will end it here and maybe we'll spend four minutes on the Qur'an, part of building the aqeedah and how Rasulullah dealt with the children and made them read Qur'an, etc. But I will give you a story uh, by way of ending this session. How do we make our children love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? There are, I have looked into the internet into ways, etc. And so, some internet says, for example, the picture of Al-Kaaba, put it in his bedroom or her bedroom. And this is the house of Allah. And inshallah, if you are good enough, we will go one day there and we will make tawaf. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in... Do you know, brothers and sisters, and sorry again to speak about my experience, I don't like no other experiences. My daughter loves... Bouncy castle. So I say to her, inshallah in Jannah, there will be lots of bouncy castles. You know why? You know why? I'm not kidding her. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Jannah, you will have ma shi'tum. You will have whatever you want. Wallahi, if you like burgers, you can ask for it. If you like, I don't know what. So, if she likes bouncy castles, why not? Even if, we, if she's a 60 years old mother, inshallah, maybe she was, wants to retain her child, wants bouncy castles. Why not? So she says, bouncy castles? I say, yes, and it's free. Don't have to. <laughs> she doesn't care about that. But anyway, and she hates sleeping, like all children. And I say to her, in Jannah, there is no sleeping. Really? There is no sleeping? Yes. And who knows? Maybe there is no brushing of the teeth. And there is no bath. Because we will not sweat. And if she became a little bit older, I might say there are no school. You can link her with Jannah. But this is on the funny side, Bansi Castle, etc. But on the practical side, this is if you don't lie, this is if you are kind. So you begin to build this emotion and she begins to look forward to Jannah like you look forward to the sale, for example in the summer or in the winter. And another way is stories. And I have a story here to tell that might be appropriate to a child between the age of three and six. And to be honest, I'm not here to tell you stories because you might go to sleep. But what I, want, what I wanted to say is to try to show you that I understand your concerns and I cannot be speaking just about the past and I need to make things relevant and accessible to you today in the modern life and the contemporary challenges, etc. So I came up with this story that could be narrated to children from the age of three to six. The story says that Nada, Nada is a girl that was sitting one day with her mother and her young sister, Basma. And Nada was watching her mother change nappies of Basma. And suddenly Basma became ill and the mother tried to do all what she could to heal her, but it didn't work, and she went straight away to the hospital, but she asked Nada to take care of Basma while she was away, and the father was not in, and in the entire house there was only Basma and Nada. And suddenly, this is the twist in the story now, suddenly while she was alone with Basma, the light went off and they were in the dark. 
And uh, Basma, as a young girl, started crying. And uh, Nada was terrified, like Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein, in the dark. And they are alone. But Nada remembered the many narratives and the many stories and the many reminders that her mother used to say to her, that whatever you do, wherever you are, you are not alone. In the night and in the daytime, in the winter or in the summer, Allah is always with you, watching over you. So she began to calm down a little bit. She realized that she's not alone. And what her mother said to her is that your Lord is stronger than all of us. Like Rasulullah saying to Ibn Abbas this on the, on the camel, saying that uh, if the entire nation, Ummah gathers to harm you, they will not be able to harm you. So Nada calmed down a little bit. And what she did is that she went straight away and opened the curtain. And straight away when she opened the curtain, the light from the moon came and shed some light into the dark room. And straight away Nada went to Basma and said, You see Basma? Stop crying. This is the moon. It's better than the electricity. It is soft. It is nice. It is quiet. It doesn't harm. And this is created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show us the way and to get rid of the darkness. And she began to tell her stories about the moon. And the time passed and the mother came and Basma kept quiet, stopped crying of course because Nada started to pump, uh, to pamper her. Pumpkin. Anyway, to pamper her and... Uh, and she kept quiet, and the mother came. She was delighted to see Basma, and she was more delighted to see what Nada have done. And out of thanking Nada, the mother said to her, Inshallah, tomorrow we will go to the library, and I'll buy you a book about the moon, and Inshallah, I will also teach you the surah in uh, Quran al Karim, which is surah 54, that is called Al Qamar, the moon. Now, it's a simple story, but if anything, it shows that children can be in control, that children can remember at the right time and react accordingly, and that children can believe from the bottom of their heart that the father and the mother are weaker, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is stronger, and that the light of the moon is better than the electricity. My daughter again, by way of telling the story to you, I actually narrated this story to her. Every day she comes from the nursery at half past one, they tell her stories. And I tell her, what stories did you, and you know, teddy bears, etc. But on the way, bringing her from school, I told her this story of Nada and Basma. And then just to test, I said to her, is this story better or the story of Mrs. Foster? She said, no, I think this story of Nada is better. So I'm saying that if we say to our children these stories, and you can invent other stories, I think, inshallah, aqeedah, the second block, could be built in the character of children. I want to now speak about the Qur'an. And I want to say something that I'm not sure if you thought about it before like that. Today, our youngsters go to the madrasa, go to the mosque, to learn Qur'an and to learn it in a language that they don't understand. And usually the children are taught Urdu first and then Arabic, and they will not understand Arabic. A lot of them become hafiz, and then some of them end up as 
members of gangs, gangsters or drug addicts or because the hifz or the learning was not constructive, was not, it was abrupt. And there is always a distance between us and the Quran. And this distance is created by or through or by many, many reasons. I want to say to you that the companions did not perceive that there is a gap between them and the Qur'an because they played a central role in the Qur'anic theme. They were the heroes of the narrative. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to you about Badr, you have to visualize Badr, but they don't because they were there. They were in Badr, they were in Uhud, they were in all the verses that were revealed in response to issues. And I'll give you an example. Me and you, we read Abasa Watawalla and Ja'ahu Al A'ma. Who is this person? Abdullah ibn Maktoum, the Mu'addin of Ar Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was a blind man. And he was the Mu'addin of Rasulullah One day he went, and Rasulullah was busy with the elites of Quraysh, and he was persisting, wanting to ask a question, and Rasulullah looked at his face and in an unpleasant way, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reproached Rasulullah and corrected him that he should give attention to the poor and the, the less prosperous because those are the people that are worthy of admonition and sermons and reminders. Me and you, we have to go through Ibn Kathir to understand all this, Asbab al-Nuzul, reasons of revelation. But the children of the Prophet ﷺ did not need that. Because every time they go to the mosque, they see Abdullah ibn Maktoum. Brothers and sisters, imagine you go to the mosque and the adhan is being called, and after the adhan, five, ten minutes after the adhan, the person who made the adhan does iqama, and then he stands behind the Prophet and you might stand next to him, next to the person who did the iqama, or, and the imam says, and you know that this person is praying next to you. What sort of an impact does the verses then have on you? Will you scratch your head during the salah? Will your mobile go and play downloadable tones and you have to put your hand in your pocket to switch it off because you forgot to do so before going to the mosque? Will you hit your um, jacket to check if the car keys are inside or that your buttons are closed well? You will not do any of that. Because the one that is the theme of that verse is praying next to you. He knows that and you know that. What I want to say is that the Sahaba lived the Qur'an. They did not read the Qur'an. They did not memorize the Qur'an. They were the Qur'an. They were inside this screen of the TV, of the Qur'anic TV. They were the players and the makers of the verses. Zayd ibn Haritha, not only did he live the Qur'an, but the Qur'an mentioned his name. 
you and me, we worship Allah through mentioning the name of Zayd and for every letter, for every letter in his name, we get 10 rewards. What more of an honor would Zayd? Imagine Zayd reading the surah. Do you think that he will only read it cold-blooded? Don't you think that he will be honored if he memorized the verse? Surah Al-Mujadila, for example, this woman that came complaining to Rasul The verse that says, لَقَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ تُجَادِلُكَ فِي نَفْسِهَا Indeed, Allah has heard the statement of her that disputes with you concerning her husband and complains to Allah. And Allah hears the argument between you both. Verily, Allah is all hearer and all seer. The aqeedah of this woman called Khawla ibn Thalaba, the belief that she has in Allah, that inna Allah sami'un basir. Is it the same belief as you have of Allah? The belief of her is far more stronger because Allah states that he heard her very complain. She was part and parcel of Allah's verses to build and educate you aqeedah wise. Allah is all seer and Allah is all hearer and the evidence for that is that he heard Thalaba or Khawla bin Thalaba. That is different than me telling you Allah has an ear that is not like yours. Far more different. And the impact is different. Because the impact is in your mind. The impact in the case of Khawla is in her heart. Because it was these verses that brought her husband, that separated her, brought him home. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him to fast or to give charity, etc. and brought him home. Do you know why Allah wanted to bring him home? Because there were children in between Khawla and Aus ibn Samad. And when he did not have enough money to feed 60 miskins, you know who helped him? Your beloved, my beloved, and his, his, his beloved, Rasul Sallallahu Won't you love Rasul Sallallahu or Aus or O Khawla when he feeds 60 people out of the dates that he gave these children to protect your own children from running into the street or going to school and saying my father is or my mother uh, are divorced? Think about that. I'm just trying to dramatize how they lived the Quran. The Quran for them was not just a book put on the shelf or out of blessing or making Nicholas or when you are ill or dead or Surah Yaseen when someone is dead. No, no, no. They lived the Quran. And then it becomes then easy, extremely easy to understand how Rasulullah built their aqeedah through the gate of the Quran because they did not know any other gate. Today, I have to get you out of the gate of materialism, secularism, ignorance, ism, 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 and say, look over there, this is the gate. A language that you don't understand, an imam that doesn't teach properly, this is the gate, go to it. Will you go to it? This is the problem. So they learned the Quran. They lived the Quran. They loved the Quran. And you know what was also fascinating? Is that the one who told them the Quran was the one that they loved. The one that they adored. 
the one that heard it directly from the mouth of an angel. Do you know the hadith of Prophet Muhammad who says, whoever wants to hear the Quran as if it was revealed, let him hear it from the mouth of Ibn Umm Abd. Who is Ibn Umm Abd? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, one of the companions. He had a melodious voice, extremely beautiful voice. I think if we read Quran today, tapes and audio and CDs, internet, everything will sell his tapes. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and uh, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Those were Hafiz, Qaris. What if a child did not hear it from the mouth of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, but heard it directly from the mouth of Rasulullah Allah Mas'ud is here, and the Rasulullah is here. Because the one that is on the top of both of them is Jibreel. So Rasulullah is closer to Jibreel, and the child is in between, closer to Rasulullah than Abdullah ibn Abbas, or Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. It's a fascinating experience. So I lived the theme, and I heard it from someone who I adore and love. And thirdly, I understand it. It's my language. I know it. I don't need Ibn Kathir. I don't need Yusuf Ali. I don't need a translation. I know it and I understand it. But as far as our children are concerned, it's interesting to note that the small surahs in the Quran are easy to learn. قُلْ أَعُوذُ Short and with a S. Very easy for the child to pronounce. Allah wants to make it easy for your children. قُلُوا اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ صَمَدٌ For the child to memorize. So an important advice is that children memorize the Qur'an. But I don't think I'm saying anything special here because we have lots of hafiz. But the most important thing is for the children to understand. And look at this hadith where you find it in the book of Abu Ya'la fi Musnadih, in the book of Abu Ya'la. Narrated by Hassan, the son of Mus'ab, the son of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas is a companion. Mus'ab is the son of the companion. Hassan is the son of Mus'ab. You, you see, this, this is fascinating link. By, to me, what is more important than the chain of narration is that values are being inherited, are being carried forward. The father is not waiting for the imam to teach his son. No, I'm going to teach my son. Why? Because I know best. Why? Because my father is a companion. Again, like the previous hadith that I narrated, Hassan is saying, I asked Abi Mus'ab. Hassan is saying, I asked my father Mus'ab, who is the son of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, who is not a companion. So his father is not a companion, his father is a tabi'i. Because he saw a companion, I saw his father. Imagine, subhanAllah, the relationship between someone who becomes a tabi'i, this honorable title, because he saw his, his father. Are you with me? Seeing your father is honorable, because that gives you a title of a tabi'i. So he says, li ya abata. I said to my father, oh my father, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah Ma'un, which is 107, which is called the small kindness. He says, So woe unto those who perform the salah, those who are unmindful or unattentive or neglectful. And look at the question of the young boy. He says, Allah says, Woe to those who when they pray they are neglectful. Who, O oh my father, isn't sometimes neglectful when he prays? 
He said, no, my son, that is not what Allah meant. Who told you this? Ibn Kathir? No, my father. And who told your father? The Prophet Do you understand this link? He said, no. It means, woe to those who delay their salah from their stated fixed times. Now I got this from a recent translation, but the Quran does not say that. He translated the meaning based on that hadith. So alhamdulillah you've read the meaning, but that is not the lit, this is the interpretation. The Sahabi understood the interpretation even if the literal meaning says otherwise. Do you see? The distance is not far away from them and the text. Now I ask you, when Hassan knows the meaning now, the true meaning of this verse, will he ever delay his prayer beyond its stated fixed time? Of course not. Now we have children who don't pray at all. Now I tell you, if every son in London, Birmingham, Leeds, wherever, had a father that tells him that according to the Quran, bombing innocent people, bombing civilians, according to Rasulullah who said this and this and that, and I was there when the Quran was revealed, or it was there, the hadith says this, and the verse was that. Will the child grow up as a bomber? All what I want to say is that they understood the Quran, and the understanding was not academic. It was natural. It was part and parcel of their everyday life. And I want to leave you with this final hadith to end this session on the building of the aqidah item of the link of the Qur'an. Just to show you the impact and the effect, to know that these people, this, these children are human beings, they have feelings, they cry and they laugh, and they get influenced and affected by what they hear and listen and see. This hadith is narrated in the book of Al-Hakim, in the Mustadrak. And Imam al-Dhahabi said that this is a sound hadith. Ibn Abbas narrates by saying, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed on his prophet, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara, wa quduha al-nasu wal-hijara, alayha malaikatun ghilaadun shidad, la ya'asuna allaha ma amaraw, ma yaf'aluna ma yu'maroon. O you who believe, ward off from yourselves and your families a fire. Try to get rid and protect yourself from this fire. And look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now is explaining and telling you this fire, whose fuel is men and stones. No gasoline or... No, the gasoline are human bodies and stones, over which are angels, stern and severe, who disobey not the commands they receive from Allah, but do that which they are commanded. Ibn Abbas says, when this verse was revealed, a young boy heard it and he fainted. Do you know what fainting means? It means that he was so influenced by this verse that he did not need an interpreter to explain to him the meaning of that verse. He didn't need a translator. The verse hit him hard and made him lose conscious. And Rasulullah when he read it, he fainted in front of him. Rasulullah put his hand on his heart. And when he saw that his heart is still beating, he said, O oh, young boy, say la ilaha illallah. And the boy started to become conscious and said, la ilaha illallah. 
and Rasulullah bashara hu bil jannah. He said, Insha'Allah, you are going to jannah. The Sahaba got jealous and said, Ya Rasulullah, are you telling him that in front of us? Where are we? Abu Bakr is here, Brother Umar is here, Brother Uthman, come, come, young boy is going to Jannah. And Rasulullah says to them, haven't you heard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is for him who fears standing before me and also fears my threat. Two points. One, the boy fainted, A, because of the impact and power of the verse, but B, because it was narrated by the lips. You remember the lips now? Can you imagine the lips? It was narrated and read by the lips of Rasul which he adored and loved. And number two, do you see how Rasul links the verses together? This is a verse from a surah. And then when they became surprised, he showed them an evidence from another surah. What Rasul is doing? He's making tafsir. He's giving them a reading. This is exactly what I'm telling you. They have been educated by the Mufassir who is Rasulullah Now they have a broader way of looking at things, a coherent way of looking at things, and a way of linking verses together even if they are not in the same surah. Imagine this boy now conscious again, but now with the good news that he is going to Jannah. Imagine he goes and tells his friends. What will be the feeling? Imagine the Sahaba who got jealous will go home and tell their wives and tell their children and say, oh my son, I wish one day that you will faint. Maybe Rasulullah will say, inshallah, you'll go to Jannah. Do you see, do you see how Rasulullah is uplift, uplifting the values of the society? How Rasulullah is building expect, high expectations? It's not that if you pray to Rakhah, inshallah, you are safe, man. No! That you have to faint. Out of this impact, out of this interaction between you and the verse.